0: We are in a sermon series called There's No Place Like Home. And if you've been here previously, you know that uh, that has included some sermons on marriage, uh, some sermons on, one sermon on fathering, and now a part two message on fathering this morning. Just by a quick way of review, the first message we looked at on fathering had three points, and they were these. Fathers are to love God the most and then to pass on that same kind of love for God to their kids. We talked about you can't pass on something you don't already possess yourself. I can't teach you how to speak German if I do not know how to speak German. Fathers are to love God the most for themselves, and then after they've learned how to do that, to encourage their children to love God the most as well. Second point we saw in a previous sermon, fathers are to call their kids up to God's standard, up to God's standard. We said at that time that flesh, excuse me, flesh and Satan and the world have their own low standards. And if we do not call our children up to God's standard, then those other factors will be pulling them down. We talked about how, if you look at at as water, water only flows downhill except a pump, pump it uphill. Dads, we are to be the pump that God uses to pump our kids up to God's standard, which is his word, And if we don't do the job properly, then these other factors of self and flesh and Satan and the world will be very much at full time to pull our kids down to their low standards. The third thing we saw in a previous sermon on fathering is that fathers are to chasten their kids when they need firm correction. We said that it's only right that the heavenly father, who loves us enough as his believers, that he will chasten us when we need chastening, That we who are earthly fathers, when our kids need chastening, that we will do that lovingly, prayerfully, skillfully, instructively, and not just let them go on their way in error. Those are the first three points we saw in a previous sermon. Now we come to this morning's part two sermon on what God has to say in his word to fathers. And the point that I'd like to raise at this point is that fathers are not to provoke their kids to anger. Ephesians 6, verse 4. It's very clear. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So God is clear that fathers, we are not to provoke, insight, cause our kids to be angry. I wonder why, as I've studied this for this week and as I've studied it other years as being a Bible student, I've always wondered why does God give the command to fathers but not to mothers? Why is it fathers that God clearly commands, do not provoke your children to anger, but mothers are not given such a command? Well, could it be because by God's design, fathers are supposed to be the servant leaders of their families, and then when a father abdicates that role and does not provide servant leadership to his children, that they feel unled, and therefore they become angry? Or could it be that God doesn't command mothers not to provoke their children to anger, but fathers not to provoke their children to anger? Could it be that fathers are to be the human representation of what a father is in a family? Could it be that God intends that the earthly fathers who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are to be the embodiment, the illustration, of what the heavenly father is like? And if a human father gives a poor representation of the heavenly Father, would that not cause the children to be angry with God, and when a child is angry with God, the child is angry with everybody else under God's creation? I'm just asking questions. Why is it that God commands fathers not to provoke their children to anger, but he doesn't command mothers in the same way? Could it be that kids are more infuriated and most often infuriated by their fathers than by their mothers? You know, often father-infuriated sons join gangs and wind up in prison. And often father-infuriated daughters become promiscuous and they make terrible choices about men the rest of their lives. And so, since Ephesians 6, 4 commands us fathers not to provoke our children to anger, we had better know what kinds of things provoke a child to anger. Well, I see two such things in verse 4 itself. In Ephesians 6, 4, I see two things that are sure to provoke anger in a child. Number one, fathers who fail to bring their children up in the discipline of the Lord. See it? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. When a father who knows Christ as Savior fails to bring his children up to the discipline of God, then you have a reverence issue. That's a reverence problem. When fathers do not teach their kids a proper fear of God, a proper reverence for God, they are going down a road to having provoked and angry children. It may not seem so in the first steps of the journey, but it will wind up there in a provoked, angry child when a Christian father fails to bring that child up in the discipline of God. That's a reverence problem. But there's a second thing in verse 4. It's an obedience problem. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline, and watch it, and instruction of the Lord. Dads, we are to bring our children up in the instruction of the Lord. We are to have this Bible as our instructing guide. It's authoritative, it's sufficient, it's inspired, it's infallible, it's all we need for life and godliness. And when a dad fails, a Christian dad fails to instruct his children in the precepts and the principles and the truths and the commandments and the promises of God as found in his word, he is taking that child down a road to provocation and anger. How does that look? Well, it looks like the Christian dad who oversees no family altar in the home, no time of family Bible reading and Praying. It looks like no prayers being said over the child. It looks like sending the child to Sunday school here and sending the child to junior church here and sending the child to worship service here, but not accompanying the child, which sends the message that church is for everybody but your dad. You know, I run across a sad and I think it's a reckless viewpoint that some parents, Christian parents, they say they're Christians, have today, and it's it's this viewpoint. I'll let my own child determine best what's the best faith for them. I'm not going to shove Christianity down my children's throats. Do you know what that's like saying? That's like saying, Susie, you can have whatever you want to eat for the rest of your life, anything, If you want to eat only Lucky Charms and licorice and Cokes, that'll be fine. I just want you to be happy. Christian parents, I'm speaking to myself with you. If we don't educate our kids in the things of Christ, who do you think will? And when the evolutionists and the atheists and the agnostics and the cultists and the false religion teachers assail them, and they will, on what will our children be able to stand if we haven't modeled and taught them the Holy Bible? You know, you and I wouldn't let our children go into life thinking that money grows on trees. So why would a Christian parent let their children go through life thinking that every road leads to heaven? That road, when a Christian father sets his children on that road, it is a road to anger in the child. Here's what it's like. We flew home uh, to Nassau yesterday, and there was a customary safety demonstration at the beginning of the flight, and... uh, Think, though, what would happen if a flight crew uh, didn't forget to give the demonstration about the oxygen mask and the life vest? They didn't forget that. They just couldn't be bothered. They were too busy, lazy, whatever. They just didn't get around to something they knew they ought to get around to. They didn't display how the oxygen mask works and how the life vests get put on and so on. And then what would happen, God forbid, if that plane crashed into the sea, and all of your loved ones who were on board that flight perished, but you survived. That airline would have a huge problem on their hands because they would have you, the surviving parent, in total grief and anger that there wasn't done for your family what should have been done for every family. That's what happens when Christian parents say, I'm backing off on this. (laughs) I'll let the church do this. I'll let the Christian private school do this. I'm not qualified to do this. I'm just taking my hands off. I'm not going to be a dad to medals and spirituality. I'll leave that to the experts. When we take our hands off like that, it's like the flight crew that was negligent and even desiring to give us the safety information we needed on that plane to survive a crash. We don't want to do that. We want to be instead fathers who do not provoke our children to anger. So we see two things right in Ephesians 6, 4 that will provoke a child to anger. One is a reverence problem. You don't teach them to reverence God. The other is an obedience problem. You don't teach them the commandments of God. Don't instruct them in the commandments of God. That too will provoke anger in the children. Now let's move outside of Ephesians 6, 4 to some other things that will equally provoke a child to anger so we can avoid these things. Something that will provoke children to anger is fathers abandoning their mommy and them. That'll provoke a child to anger by divorce or desertion. Abusing their mommy or them, that'll provoke a child to anger. Being hypocrites, believing something, being vocal about something you do believe, but then not living it, That. Hypocritical behavior will provoke a child to anger. Being selfish will provoke a child to anger. Buying yourself nice things when your family's need of some basic things are disregarded. Having no time for the children, just giving them money, place to live, toys, that'll provoke a child to anger. Selfishness, not listening to them. I do all my listening at work. I'm tired when I come home. Leave daddy alone. Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Making them children serve you, but never serving the children as a dad. That'll provoke a child to anger. So will always criticizing the child, never complimenting the child, never encouraging the child sending the message somehow to the child that the child is never quite good enough and never saying to the child verbally, Johnny, I love you. Susie, I'm so proud of you. That'll provoke a child to anger. Always showing conditional love will make a child angry. Making the child know directly or indirectly, that you're going to get my love when you measure up to my standard. Linking your acceptance of your child to a certain level of achievement in school or church or extracurricular activities, that will provoke a child to anger. And, of course, name-calling will provoke a child to anger. You're fat. You're stupid. No one will marry you. You never do things right. I wish you were a son and not a daughter. I wish you were a daughter and not a son. You're not like your brother. He's so good at you're hopeless. These things will crush. These things will crush a child's spirit, and a crushed spirit in a child will volcano out in anger. Another thing that provokes a child to anger is refusing the role of being a father to your kids. Some men father children, and then they just check out. They say, I will not accept the biblical role God gives to me as a father. I just won't. It's tiresome. It's expensive. It's inconvenient. And this whole refusing the role of being a father to your kids can happen with biological children. It can happen with so special needs biological children. It can happen with adopted children. It can happen with special needs adopted children. It can happen with stepchildren. And yes, in the Bahamas, I'm sad to say, it can also happen with so-called outside children. The hymn writer Henry Light, who wrote many hymns, including Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven, had a wretched father. The father split with his wife, Henry's mother, when Henry was young. Henry went off to boarding school, and after that, every letter which Henry's father wrote to the boy was signed, your uncle. The father refused to call himself Henry's father, and he forbid Henry from addressing him as father. Despicable. Despicable. Mr. Light refused the role of being a father to his son, Henry, but the pure grace of God, the, in, the greater grace of God, came into young Light's life as a rejected son. And the pure grace of God, the uplifting grace of God, the identity-shaping grace of God caused the wounded, Henry Light, the hymn writer, not to become bitter, but become better. And in addition to praise my soul, the king of heaven, Henry Light wrote, Abide with me, and Jesus, I my cross have taken. If you're here this morning and your father wounded you in any of the ways that I've gone through, let the Holy Spirit bring you to the place of forgiveness, to bring you to the place of experiencing the joy that Jesus provides, the security to be in God the Father, the perfect heavenly Father's family, and not to replicate the sin when you become a father. We've said from last sermon, fathers are to love God the most and to teach that love for God to their children. Fathers are to call their children up to God's standard. Fathers are to chasten their kids who need correction. Fathers from this message are not to provoke their kids to anger. We go on to our fifth and last point of all the points. Fathers are to pray for their families. Fathers are to pray for their families. Of course, the great apostle Paul whom God used by the Holy Spirit to write 60% of the New Testament. His ministry was to the Gentiles. His ministry was to share Christ crucified, risen, and coming again to see Gentiles come to saving faith in Christ. He was used by God to plant various churches around the ancient Mediterranean basin. And he was really the spiritual father to all of those believers in all of those places that we See letters written to in the New Testament. And we catch a certain glimpse into the Apostle Paul's spiritual heart when we read in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 28, this. Apart from such external things, I'll interject mortgages, school fees, kids with problems. Crime in the neighborhood, that's all interjection. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. The great apostle Paul just didn't ride out of town after he planted a church and stayed for a year and then forgot about those precious believers. He had a concern, a spiritual concern as their spiritual father that never went away. And you know how he expressed that spiritually fathering concern? He prayed. He interceded for spiritual children. By the way, some of us here today are fathers. It's a high and holy calling. It's a blessing. Others of us here, for a variety of reasons, are not fathers. But may I point out to the ones who are the ones who aren't fathers, that we're really all fathers. Because there are spiritual kids that each of us has. Persons who look up to us because of our years teaching them in Awana or Sunday school or junior church. Neighbors who allowed you to bring their children to church and you got saved at Calvary Bible Church and of those kids are looking up to you who brought them here. Whether we are literal fathers or we are spiritual fathers, we are to be about the ministry of praying. Praying. If we have a wife, pray for our wife. If we have children, pray for our children. If we have spiritual children, pray for our spiritual children. After all, if we understand biblically that fathers are to be the human high priests of their families that bring their families to the word of God, that bring their families to times of prayer, that bring their families to Christian service, that bring their families to commitment to the local church, if that's all true, then a high priest prays. You don't ever have a high priest who doesn't pray. These go hand in glove. And so God expects fathers to pray, Apostle Paul did. when you look at the books that are in our New Testament, the books of Romans, first and Second Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, are all either opened with an affirmation that Paul is praying for the readership, or they close with such an affirmation that Paul is praying for the readership. Now, I want to take a little quiz. This is not a pen to paper quiz, nor is it a raise your hand from the pew quiz. This is a private quiz, but it's a quiz. It's a serious quiz. Heaven's going to mark you on this quiz. Dads, right now, not the day you got married, not your wife's birthday, not the day your children were born, not the days of the children's birthdays, right now, Do you know the three most important needs that you should pray for for your wife? Right now, do you know the three most important ways for you to be praying for your wife? Second question, right now, do you know the three most important ways for you to be praying for each of your children? Right now, do you know how best to pray for each of your children in three specific ways for each child? Some of you know that, and I applaud you. Some of you may not know that. The good news is you can fix that. Before your head goes on the pillow tonight to sleep for the night, you could do a research study with those loved ones. You could go to your wife and say, honey, when pastor asked me to do that quiz, I didn't know the answers. What are the top three ways that I could pray for you right now? And then when she tells you, look her in the eyes, tell her you will, and give her a kiss. You could research. You could go to child number one, Child number one, Sarah, what are the top three ways I could be praying for you right now? And then when Sarah tells you, you look her in the eyes and you say, I promise you, I'll pray for those three things. Give her a kiss. Go to child number two, Billy. Billy, Daddy wants to know the top three things that you need prayer for right now in your life. Would you please tell me? Billy tells you, you say, I will. You got it, partner. I'll pray for those three things and give him a kiss and a hug. You can fix that by bedtime tonight. Guess what? If your child's in college, phone them, WhatsApp them, text them, email them. Where did all these options come from? Just reach out to them. Heard in church today, challenge from God's word, Ephesians 6, 4, what dads are not to do. And one of the things we are to do is to pray. Can I know how to pray for you right now? Three things, and then be sure to do it. You know, a while back in this sermon series, I marveled uh, at things being the way they are. That some Christians, I hear Christians that love God, love Christ, love the Word, love the church, I hear some Christians say, Isn't it a shame that children don't come with instructions? They do. They do come with instructions. Instructions for the children, and instructions for the mothers, and instructions for the fathers. Let's put it together, guys. Let's put it together. Our families will be the beneficiaries of us not provoking the children to anger and of us praying for our families. Will you stand with me? We pray. Uh, Heaven Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the blueprint, the instruction manual that it is, this morning in particular for fathers. Lord, thank you for the great privilege it is to be a father. And Lord, all of us have ways we need to improve. All of us have come under conviction to some measure, as your word has been preached in this area. Help us not to uh, give up. Help us not to um, pr- presume we can't do better. Help us to draw upon that resurrection power that Brother Anton sang of, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is resident within us as fathers. The Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead lives in us. May we draw upon his power for Christ's glory and for the good of our families. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. And God's people said, amen.